We are all miracles and must make the most of our limited time here. Each of us have these unique gifts to contribute to the world. And it's our job to develop these gifts and give them away. That's why I created the Preschool SLP podcast. The Preschool SLP is about working smarter to create real change in ourselves and in others. Being an SLP is a mission. Let's discuss topics that matter. What are the game-changing strategies? How can we treat the whole child? How can we create the shiniest versions of ourselves and of our clients? We're here at the drawing board for a reason. You bring your own unique gifts. Together, let's create better. Today's episode is going to be one that you simply cannot miss if you work with preschoolers or school-age children with autism. And the reason for that is because it's going to be jam-packed with the very latest evidence-based strategies to treat these children. And we're talking about taking a multifaceted approach. That means that these strategies are going to be diverse in nature because autism is not simple. It's a complex condition and it impacts every area of the child's life. So you want to pick up whole strategies from different approaches to target autism from many different angles, sort of like a spider web. In that way, you're going to be most effective in treating the child with autism and creating optimal change when neuroplasticity is at its highest level. So what I'm going to encourage you to do today is to not limit yourself to a few letters when it comes to your intervention of children with autism. I know so many people that are like, I'm an ABA speech pathologist, or I'm a floor time speech pathologist, or I'm on Hannon speech pathologist, or I'm a PEC speech pathologist, or I'm a teach speech pathologist. And what they do is they limit their ability to create massive change by treating autism through multiple different approaches, like a spider web. That's what you want to think of when you're treating autism. You're going to want to think of the different aspects that autism impacts. For instance, the motor aspect of autism, the social aspect of autism, the sensory aspect of autism, the attentional aspect of autism, the executive function aspect of autism, the complex motor movement aspect of autism, the visual aspect of autism, the auditory processing aspect of autism. I could go on and on. What I'm saying is, is that autism is a multifaceted condition that affects both the body and the brain in a variety of manners. And as a result, you're going to want to take a multi-pronged approach to treating autism. And if you're not taking a multi-pronged approach, you're not going to get the gains that you could if you were doing so. 
So what I'm going to talk about today is this cumulative effect of focusing on this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Because autism is a complex condition, it requires a complex response to intervention. So I brought my can of alphabet soup. Oh, yes, I did. Because the approach I am recommending is called the alphabet soup approach. No, I wouldn't recommend eating the Chef Boyardee ABCs because this isn't the healthiest thing on the planet. But I brought a prop, the alphabet soup approach. Do all of it. Not all of it, but all of the good stuff. A through Z. Think about intervention as A through Z. Don't limit yourself to a three letters of the alphabet. You can do so much more than that. You're capable of so much more than this. The analogy I use is if you were to go to a naturopath, and a lot of us struggle with our weights. I'll give my, myself as an example because I've been to a naturopath. So I go to a naturopath and the naturopath says, okay, this is what you have to do. Calories in, calories out. If we have a calorie surplus, you're going to gain weight. If we have a calorie deficit, you're going to lose weight. And if we're at even, then you're going to maintain the current weight you have. That's what you need to know. That's my approach. Now, I would be like, whoa, right? Wait a minute here. There's so much more to that than when it comes to weight. Well, what about my hormones? What about vitamin deficiencies? What about my glucose levels? What about what kinds of foods I'm ingesting? Because if you have a pretzel diet and I'm, I can totally stick within that 1,000, 1,200 calorie on pretzels every day, yeah, totally do that. <laughs> I totally would. But that would be healthy, right? You really want a naturopath that looks at the whole picture and that targeted areas that are contributing to the weight gain. And as a result, you're going to see results. You don't want a naturopath that simply says, all I care about are your macros. Then you'd be like, and, and here are some protein bars and here is a shake for you and we're all set. Go on your way. You want someone that is using a multifaceted spider web approach because digestion and food and how you consume energy is complex. So it requires a complex intervention if you want to create change. So let's create that spider web. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you hot off the press the best current research we have available. This is an emerald I'm bringing to you. This is from 2021. And this is a meta-analysis of 972 studies. Okay. And what they found in these 972 studies is 28 different approaches that are effective in treating children with autism. Okay, let's look at this. This is good stuff. When they looked at these studies, about half of them were preschool age children and half of them were elementary age children. Do I have your ears now? This is probably the age that you're working with. This is a peer-reviewed article from the Journal of Autism and Developmental Delays, and this is from 2021. So let's pop this article open and let's put this research into practice. Now, when I look at this research review, I encourage you to go ahead and print it out unless you have an inkjet printer. If you have an inkjet printer, I wouldn't recommend 
printing this out because you're going to run out of ink. Instead, I would recommend buying a laser printer, which is way better than an inkjet printer, and then printing out the article and never looking back. I can't believe how many years I went struggling with inkjet printers. No more. Go invest. So with this article, you can check it out. It's called Evidence-Based Practices for Children, Youth, and Young Adults with Autism, Third Generation Review. Journal of Autism and Developmental Disorders, 2021. It is a gem. So this is one of those articles you just don't print out the abstract. You print out the entire article and reference it. What we're going to do today is I took those 28 strategies that they found to be effective, and eight of them were really about behavioral interventions. And you understand what behavioral interventions are. It's simply you have an antecedent, you have the child's behavior, and you have the consequences. So with the behavioral interventions, you really focus on changing the antecedents, what's occurring before the behavior, right? And changing the consequence. And in doing that Oreo effect of these two sides, the antecedent or the consequence, you're going to impact the behavior and change the child's behavior right? So these behavioral interventions, there were about eight different approaches. I just put that into one and call that behavioral interventions, okay? Let's look at the 20. Now, when I go through these 20 different evidence-based strategies, I'm going to use an example with my CIS approach because I look at CIS, that's my membership, that's my baby, that is my best practice for 2023. Like that is me after 20 years of being at the drawing board and every single day saying, how can I do things differently? How can I do things better? That's where I am today. I'm also going to share with you my weaknesses and where I'm focusing my efforts currently because I rate myself as being like, this is a weakness. This is an area that I want to grow in. So when I tell you each of these 20 different approaches, I want you to rate yourself on a one to 10. Okay. So one is weak, 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 weak. Like I didn't even know about this approach. I have so much to learn in this area. 10 is booyah, like drop the mic. I have honed this craft. I've researched this. I've developed this. And that's going to continue developing. This is definitely an area of strength in my intervention that I really don't need to focus all of my efforts on at this time. Okay. I'm good here. So the first one is antecedent based interventions. And what that you take 99.99% of your efforts and you put it into prevention of the behavior problem in the first place. That's what anyone who's good with behavioral intervention would tell you. And what I always think is the greatest thing we can do is set the stage for intervention to be at the child's challenge point. So that's what I always think about when it comes to creating interventions or when I'm using augmentative communication. I set up the board so that the child can independently manipulate using the board in an engaging activity with an 80% accuracy rate because practice makes perfect, but practice also makes imperfect. And if the child is frustrated or repeatedly using the wrong motor plans, then you're creating poor motor planning. So I always follow that 80% rule, which is highly evidence-based. 
So the second rule is augmentative and alternative communication. Both high-tech and low-tech are found to be effective in improving children's communication skills. Now, the latest research that I'm looking at, is there benefit to using both? When I'm using, for instance, a Lamp for Life broad-based device, is there benefit to also having a sentence strip available, which provides that repetition that might be necessary to pick up the language through reading it, through visually seeing it with repetition and practicing the motor planning and programming in a more explicit manner. So what we know currently is low-tech and high-tech both get the job done. What my current research question is, is what about if we combine the two? Will there be an additive effect in which you get even better gains? I see unique benefits from the low tech that the high tech doesn't have in the sense that you have that repetition of experience with low tech. So the third one that we're going to look at is behavioral approaches. We talked about that before. I took eight different behavioral approaches and combined them. And they basically are all based on proving outcomes by changing the antecedent, what happens before the behavior, or changing the consequence, how you respond to the behavior. The fourth approach cognitive-based approaches. So this is where you teach a process for the child so that the child is able to use that process automatically. So for instance, I teach self-directed speech in my CIS membership, and this is to improve executive function. So I teach children to identify what the problem is, to make a plan, to take action, and to check it for completion. So I'm finding more and more children every year are having executive function difficulties. And the research indicates that even children with articulation impairments are statistically more likely to have executive function impairments. I look at executive function as something that I proactively work with every child on my caseload. That's an example of a cognitive-based approach in which you're teaching them a process for them to use on their own to improve their ability to learn, to communicate, or to perform a task. Another popular one is children the elements of the story so that they can better tell narratives, retell narratives, comprehend narratives, write narratives. So that's another cognitive approach in which you're teaching a process. A third cognitive approach I can think of is I look at what behaviors children with communication impairments struggle with at elementary age. And I teach that at the preschool level. I teach them through gestures. What are these rules that are really important for being a student? So let's look at the next one direct instruction. Now, direct instruction is simply that most to least prompting hierarchy. We know it in our field and dynamic temporal tactile cueing. So what we're talking about with that is, first of all, you're saying choral, unison, speech together, giving them multimodal cueing. Then after that, you're pulling your verbal model away, but continuing the multimodal cueing. Then after that, you're using imagery cues, pulling away the multimodal visual cueing. Then after that, you're doing no cues. You're always ensuring that the child is at an 80% accuracy level. 
So think about all of these skills. Give yourself a one to 10. And one to 10, one to 10, one to 10. This is how you're going to find these are my strengths. And these are areas I could work on. That's how we grow. I mean, how many times have you met a speech pathologist or another professional that are doing the same thing they've done for the last 20 years? They might have 20 years experience, but they're doing what they learned in graduate school 20 years ago. So don't be that person. Every minute of every day, grow. You're working with your children. They're your master professors. They're going to school you really nicely. <laughs> I'm sure you know that. I didn't need to tell you that. Okay, so let's look at the sixth evidence-based strategy, mindful movement. We talked about that before and exercise. They each have a different goal. So if you're doing mindful mood movement, which is like my task-oriented movement activities, which is like yoga, which is dance routine, which is karate, which is a musical instrument, those are going to improve executive function. We have other types of movements, exercise. That's going to improve the child's attention, okay? So they're both good, but one is definitely better than the other. One, you're going to get sensory integration improvement, improvement in, in attention, and also the executive function gains. They're all good. Number seven, functional behavior assessment and functional communication teaching. So instead of the child hitting his head on the table as hard as he can to escape from an activity, how can we use augmentative alternative communication for the child's request, give me five, give me a break instead. Okay. So think about that. I want you to really go through this. I hope that you download this episode and I want you to listen to it and write I give myself a one, I give myself a five, I give myself an eight, I give myself a 10 in each of these areas. I really want you to take inventory. Number eight, modeling. So for instance, when I'm working with a LAMP device, a broad-based communication system, I will just point to look at and make comments on the child's device. And the child simply seeing me do it does help. Okay, that's an effective strategy to model. Number nine, music mediated intervention. Now I am tone deaf and I know that you've heard before that children with autism do not like people singing that don't have perfect pitch, but I can tell you I've been, I've been singing for 20 years. I'm tone deaf and it definitely helps. I'm not a music therapist. I have no music therapy background, but what it does is it helps the children with the word retrieval, like understanding what is the idea right now? What is the plan? What is it I should be doing? How do we program the muscles in the body to do it? And also on how to execute and how to stop it, the emotion. So the music really aids in that. What I got the idea from is about 20 years ago, I watched a 2020 episode and a music therapist had a child with autism. And what she did with that child is she sung him through the entire day. So she sung him through getting ready his clothes on in the morning, going to the school, getting into the school bus. And then she was a teaching assistant throughout the day. She sung him through all the activities and the child performed masterfully. She showed what happened when she didn't sing and how difficult it was for the child because that singing really helped the child with sensory difficulties, with auditory processing difficulties, understand what was going on in the world. 
and how he could move his body effectively in space through this complex place. Number 10, naturalistic activity-based interventions. So this really has to do with capitalizing on these routines and embedding the communication targets into the naturally recurring routine that is already happening each and every day. So during mealtime, how are you going to try to help your child improve on commenting? Well, let's talk about our favorite foods and what foods we don't like during mealtime. And so think about that and how this is a routine that's going to happen every single day. How can we add these communication targets within this everyday occurring routine to give that consistency? Because we know that consistency is the key to success. Okay, let's look at number 11. This is where I rate myself very lowly is parent implemented interventions. Because in my school day, I have a very big caseload of preschoolers and half of the caseload are children with complex communication needs. So I'm always in therapy from the moment I enter into the school to the moment I leave. And it leaves a very little time to really develop a well-organized parent implemented intervention system. So this here, I give myself perhaps a three because I do send some video homes. I do send augmented communication home. I do send treatment targets home, but it's just kind of like, ah, I want to do more here. I want to have a more organized system that's easy for me to access 24 seven and to send this perfect clip that I've already made that this parent needs to see the help that helped help them use the minute communication device with their child. Looking at these evidence-based strategies, taking a moment to reflect, this is a weakness for me. This is something I want to do better in. This is something I'm going to give myself a three in and I want to be a 10 in. So what are the steps that I'm going to take so that I can have my cake, my direct therapy time, which does make a difference. I do get really great gains. But I also want to have the parents who are the primary agent of change in this child's life to also be empowered. And that's going to require systems and processes in which even though I can't make time, I can make more efficient use of my time so that within a half hour every week, I can have something in place where I'm providing that home to school connection because I've set up a system. So that's an area that I'm focusing on. All right, let's look at the next one. We're getting through this. I know I know it's like, well, this is a lot, Kelly, but I'm making a point here. And the point is, is that intervention's multifaceted for these children with autism. You can't know one approach and think that you're doing best practice. You have to incorporate many different approaches. So the next one is peer-based interventions, integrated peer groups using siblings. Number 13, prompting hierarchies using a most to least hierarchy at an 80% accuracy level at all times. Number 14, self-monitoring. So for instance, at the end of every speech therapy session, I go through the rules with my preschoolers and then we do have a treasure box. And the treasure box is filled with literacy items. So the treasure box is filled with different erasers and pencils that help children love writing. Okay. 
So forgive me for my treasure box, but I like to give them an artifact at the end of the day so they can tell the parents why they have that artifact and they can tell the parents that they paid attention. So I go through at the end of every single therapy session, we make binoculars. Did you pay attention? I hold my fingers out in a check mark manner and they tell me or not, check. Or if they didn't, they'll tell me, no, I didn't. So we go through paying attention. Did they answer every question? Did they work super hard? Did they follow every single direction? And did they keep their hands to themselves? We go through those five rules and they tell me and they self-monitor whether or not they did or not. That's called self-monitoring. It's an evidence-based strategy. The next one is sensory integration. Now, I want you to take sensory integration with a grain of salt. This article had only found three sensory integration studies. So a lot of the others were definitely double digits or some of them were close to 50 different studies that showed their efficacy. There is actually very minimal evidence with sensory integration. I really encourage you to think of sensory integration as only one piece of the inner puzzle. And once again, there's been research done comparing sensory integration activities and sensory integration activities with a task-oriented movement component. The task-oriented movement component one combined with the sensory integration is going to give you better gains than simply doing sensory integration for the purpose of sensory integration. Let's look at the next one, social story narrative. So once again, what you're doing is you're putting in visual and print what the target behavior is that you'd like to see the child do to more effectively communicate in the world, okay? The next one, social skills interventions. That's number 17. 18, I added the word sensible. Sensible technology-aided instruction. And what I mean by that is I had the brilliant graduate student before that did a research study and she had the smart board behind her. So she was doing head, shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. And what she compared is what happened if I had the smart board playing and singing along with the smart board behind me or if I just played the audio? And what she found in her research is if you have the smart board playing and you're doing it, the children with autism imitated more of the actions than if she was just doing it without the smart board behind her. So that's what you want to think about with technology is not it replacing the human being, but it as aiding the instruction. So it's person-to-person -person interaction with a screen, not child-to-screen interaction. And that's what the research is showing across the gamut is that it is great to have a parent in an interactive storybook. That we're not talking about video instruction. We're just talking about some enhancements. For instance, if there's a vocabulary word, you push on that vocabulary word and out pops a beautiful image. That's what an, a technology enhanced interaction looks like. It's not a child with a screen. It's a child with another person and the screen is only adding to the experience. Just like my graduate student doing the research where you're imitating me, but I also have the screen doing it behind me as well. I'm just adding to the experience to give you more 
feedback, doing more of a multi-sensory approach to teaching. Okay. The next one here, number 19, is video modeling. Now, once again, what you're doing is you're taking what is happening in real time, all fast with all of this sensory information coming in, and you're putting it into a video and you're focusing on what you want the child to pay attention to. You're kind of editing the world down for the child because the world, when you have sensory and auditory processing issues, you're just taking it all in. And it's hard to understand what you're supposed to pay attention to and what you're not supposed to pay attention to. The video modeling helps the child know what to focus in on. Number 20, visual supports. So visual supports are so important, as we know. What I'm really going to advocate for is print, because a lot of the children we work with, they don't learn to talk. They don't learn to write. They don't learn to read from hearing the word as much as from seeing the word. So their strength is the visual processing skill. And there has been some research to indicate that the visual cortex for children with autism is largely unspared in terms of damage. This is an area that remains intact. So we want to capitalize on that and we want to pr always provide visual support, but I'm going to say very much importantly, make sure the printed word is there because the children with autism that I've worked with, they've learned to talk through reading, not through hearing the words, but by reading the words. So always, always give them that printed word. And that's what I love about our current CIS membership is that we even upped the ante when it came to the printed word. And as a result of that, the children are talking even the more print they have, the better. That's how they process language, much more than through printed words than through hearing the words. So those are the 20 current evidence-based strategies for working with children with autism. And I want you to just take some time to reflect and look at those strategies and say, am I implementing these strategies? And not one strategy, all of these strategies. Am I implementing these strategies in my intervention? Is there a strategy that is missing from this web of intervention that I'm providing? And what can I do to turn this one into a five or a five into a 10? Because this really matters. Think about it and take all of this information, roll up your sleeves, and make the world a better place, one child at a time. But you are always first. Just...